Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Atomy Brainwaves, our podcast on education for educators. Brainwaves is produced by our wonderful team here at Atomy. What is Atomy? It's an online teaching and learning platform for secondary education. We provide engaging, curriculum-specific video and text lessons for over 190 subjects, as well as matching quizzes and exam practice that can be used for both learning and formative assessment. We also provide powerful analytics that can help teachers diagnose how their students are progressing and zero in on who might need a little bit of extra help. Our goal is to help make life easier for our teachers, give them more time to work on the most important things, and ultimately help to generate better outcomes. If you want to find out more about Atomy, head over to our main site at getatomy.com and feel free to try it out for free. Today, I was joined by our resident teaching expert and former head of curriculum, Sue Temlett, to tackle the age-old question of exam preparation. We discussed the ongoing importance and changing nature of exams and assessments, the challenges they pose to students and how teachers can help manage these challenges, and what exam preparation looks like in the unique landscape of 2020. If this sounds good to you, feel free to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you'd like to do your podcast listening. And we'll never say no to a quick five-star review while you're at it. In the meantime, give this episode a listen, and I hope you enjoy. Are you going to teach us anything? What, you want me to teach you something? You want to learn something? All right. You got it! Hey everyone, welcome back to Atomy Brainwaves. I'm your host Simon and today we have our resident teaching expert Sue on the air with us. What's up Sue? Ah, oh, not much. How you doing? I'm good, I'm good. I'm just, I'm still uh, reeling from this exciting news of, that you <laughs> revealed to me that there's soon to be a pool in your life. That's yes. right listeners, you heard it here first. <laughs> Sue is a uh, is adding a swimming pool to the to the Temlis household. Yes, yes, and hopefully it's not going to blow out all the budget because it's quite tight. But yeah, that's the aim. It's it's yeah. more than worth it. It's more. Yeah, than I hope so. When I say that, as somebody like, who doesn't have a swimming pool, but I'm assuming that it's more yeah, than worth it. It's the Australian dream. Put it that way. <laughs> yes, very nice. I like that. The Australian. <laughs> dream well any anybody out there of course who wants to reach that dream who wants to get to a point where they too can scale the dizzying heights of a of a pool needs to needs to jump through the hoops need to pass their exams so to speak to get there which kind of ties us in in a long way it it wasn't the best segue it was a little bit but it'll do it'll do it'll do um but yes ties us into our topic for today which is exam preparation exam slash assignment preparation we'll say Uh um obviously you know a a topic which has been important for as long as schools have been around and which will continue to be for as long as schools uh exist Mm -hmm. and we're going to as we go along we're obviously going to be putting the focus on the teacher's role in terms of helping students and navigating different types of exams and assessment and all the rest. But before we get there, I thought it would be a good idea just to start. It might almost seem like recapping things that everybody already knows, but just a quick run through of why we have exams, why we have assessments, what the what the arguments for and against uh, assessments as measurements of a student's progress are. So, Sue, take it away. Sure. Yeah, I don't. I don't necessarily know that there's arguments against assessments. I think um, most they're mostly are, coming from the students who yeah, well, to yeah, do well. the assessments. <laughs> yeah, but like in every every aspect of life, you know, you, you, there are milestones that you have to reach um, to prove, you know, knowledge or to. Um, you know, if you've got a new job and you've got to um, pass probation or whatever, you've got to prove that you have gained enough skill or knowledge to do those things. So to me, really, assessments are are just that, you know. So students obviously, yeah, might argue about them. But I think that's probably the more of the, the mode or the frequency um, of assessments or the style even of assessments um, that's the problem rather than the actual idea of an assessment itself. 
And I think in terms of education, like you'd be hard pressed to find an educator who didn't agree with assessment of some type. Um, they might be, you know, flying the flag for no examinations um, or more frequent low stakes assessments um, rather than less frequent high stakes assessments, that sort of thing. But I think really, I'd, I'd think you'd be hard pressed to find someone who didn't agree that, you know, assessments are a way of capturing um, student knowledge. It would just be more about the type of assessment that is done. So like from my point of view, I think, yeah, we absolutely do need some sort of measure um, and something to, you know, base um, both our teaching on so that, um, you know, we can um, plug gaps, teach more appropriately, um, teach, you know, in different ways. Um, but you're also going to need a measure of what a student knows and whether they're ready, I guess, to move on to the next thing, um, which, you know, in sort of the high stakes assessment, the next thing is obviously leave school or um, the next thing is, you know, getting to university or that sort of stuff when you're at the end of schooling. Um, but I think, yeah, the, the, the kind of ongoing assessments are, um, yeah, are probably more the issue. Um, in terms of whether people agree or disagree with them. Um, and then obviously there's a big discussion around the high stakes assessment um, and what they should look like. And the high stakes assessment, I guess, hasn't changed very much in I don't know how many years <laughs> across. So I've taught in two countries. Um, I would think, yeah, I don't know that the actual high stakes end of it has, has really changed at all um, since I was at school. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, and that certainly, certainly resonates with me. And, but I, I, I wanted to go before we move on just a little further into, you talk about how the high stakes assessment remains very much the same as it, as it has always been. And that's true yeah. across a, a lot of places. But in terms of, I guess, the, the surrounding area, I wanted to, to talk to you a little bit about how, you know, other lower stakes assessments, ongoing assessments, how that, that has really changed in terms of format over the years because I mean even I know from from my own experience obviously coming from from Ireland when I did my end of school exams way way back in uh, 2014 or something I think oh shit Um, (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah, in the distant past Um, but even I mean even then it hasn't been too long but when I did my exams it was the kind of the case of there was little to no ongoing assessments and we uh-huh. all sat one big set of exams one big thing at the end, at the end of our yeah. final year. And that was the ultimate, mm. you know, determiner of, of everything with regards to going on to third level or what mm-hmm. course you get yeah. in and all the rest. And, 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 and even in the years since then, just from younger siblings, cousins, all the rest, I have, you know, observed a change where even in that, whatever it is, six years, more mm. continuous assessment has been brought in. And I know, obviously, from in a more localized sense in in New South Wales, there is a, a, a lot more of a feature nowadays of the sort of the continuous assessment. So I just wanted to, mm. you know, if you could paint a picture for us of how the landscape has changed with regards to continuous assessment coming in and what that might mean in terms of changes, yeah, going yeah. forward. Yeah. So it's interesting you say that about Ireland, and you know, that's only sort of six years ago um, when I was doing my um, examinations in school, which was not six years ago, like it was more around the uh, eight to ten 90, years ago, ninety five, ninety six. Um, okay. In the UK, then we still had coursework that built up. Um, you know, and I think it was like forty percent coursework, sixty percent exam. Um, so that was always the mode that I was used to for you know for those big high stakes assessments that um, you know a, a fair proportion of it you could you would do throughout the two years in GCSE and then same with A levels um, and then you had the high stake assessment that was like worth sixty percent but still that was a good format in the sense that you had multiple you know you had time to I guess gain marks before that final so it sounds like in Ireland that was quite different then and it was just the final exam and you know that would be quite horrifying everything just resting on that um in new south- <laughs> yeah, i was gonna say well done for that um in new south wales it's obviously it's like more of a 50 50 split so um you know by the time you get to hsc you are um doing a number of assessments throughout the the year 
Um, I think we're at the stage now, so for the English curriculum in HSC, it's like three in um, three in year 11, um, three or four in year 12, and then you've got the trial examinations, obviously, make up part of that. Um, and then that all goes towards your mark for schoolwork, essentially, and then you've got the examination at the end. And I think that um, that's a good... To me, that's a... You know, there's still a lot of a lot, huge hype around the actual final examination, but I'm more of a fan of having entry points along the way where you can go in and, and show yourself in that coursework mode as such. Um, but I think what we're also talking about here with that continuous assessment, like if you look lower down school years, not just to those, you know, those vital sort of 11 and 12 years, but lower down the school years, um, there is that sense of, you know, you can try, you know, yeah, it might be a yearly exam or half yearly exam or something like that. But throughout the year, there are multiple times where you can um, demonstrate your knowledge or your um you know, your, your conceptual knowledge or your skill-based knowledge, etc., in some lower stakes assessments. I think for me, where we need to get to, um, having just studied online for my master's a few years ago, um, which it was all online, one of the things that I really enjoyed um, in that course was the frequent low stakes um, three mark questions. I think it was weekly we had to do a post on a discussion forum that was 300 words that could get up to three marks. And over the 10 weeks, we did 10 posts. So that was 30 marks of your course for a weekly contribution um, based on the readings in the course. Now, that was obviously something to do every week, but it, it kept you engaged in the course. If you missed one, obviously, then every time you miss one, your percentage of that 30 marks is going to go down. So it made you do the reading. It kept you involved in the course. Um, but the reason we don't do things like that in school, where I think it would be you know, really good to actually help students to be engaged throughout the whole term, not just at assessment time. Because what you often find as teachers is, you know, the kids just want, they care about the assessment. They just want to pass the assessment. And then, you that you know, they're not necessarily paying much attention in between. Mm. So I, I would love to have that same sort of model of frequent low stakes. But in New South Wales, we have to give um, a two-week notification period for, um, I guess, uh, for an assessment. And so if you were doing that for a weekly assessment piece, you'd be forever, you know, unless you structured it somehow to sort of skirt the rules a little bit, you'd feel like you were forever just you know, issuing assessment task notifications for three mark questions every two weeks, mm. you know, like it would be crazy. Um, but that's where I'd like to see us get to so that not only um, are you ass assessing, um, you know, weekly so that you can actually really change your teaching based on it, but also it's uh, it's keeping kids engaged throughout the entirety of the term, not just at week seven when assessments hit. So <laughs> it's, it's yeah. a great, it's, it's a wonderful world vision, something we can hopefully get ourselves to. <laughs> Unfortunately, we don't quite live in that world just yet. No, we still live, no. we still live in a world where those high stakes exams and assessments very much are, are, are part of the picture. And mm. as such, I suppose we have to, as long as that issue remains, we've got to, we've got to deal with that, which kind of leads me on to the next thing I wanted to ask, which is just to shine the light for a moment very much on the students and kind of mm. parse the challenges that the students are facing ahead of exams. And I guess, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to sort of put it into two separate camps and ask you to sort of expand on, on, on both of those. The first being the demand being placed on students in terms of the actual studying itself, the actual, you know content that they need to mm -hmm. consume and the e exam readiness i suppose that they need to achieve and then the other side being the the stress the anxiety that that that, that students face you know the the daunting element mm, of exams yeah. and, and, the, and the pressure and i was wondering if you could before we get into the teacher's role or anything if you could just talk us through what that's like for a student and what that means day to day in terms of of these challenges that they're facing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting that, so I've been in Australia since 2008, 
And in those 12 years, I think I've seen more and more of an increase of students um, suffering with anxiety, stress and anxiety around the HSC. It seems like it's spiralled almost in um, maybe a self-perpetuating or self-fulfilling kind of prophecy in that every year, um, you know, it seems to be such a massive deal. And I'm not kind of saying it's not. I I appreciate, you know, it, it is a big deal. Um, but just the the amount of students who I've seen sort of really buckle underneath that that pressure is is concerning. So um, I think there definitely there's a lot of stress and anxiety that goes around with it. Um, and whether or not you know students are sort of winding each other up about it, you know, not in a jovial way, but you know one gets stressed about it, another kind of catches that stress, and it yeah. kind of you know ca- carries on. Um, I don't know whether that's part of it, but yeah, it certainly is a is a very is a time of a huge anxiety for kids, um, and I think some of that um, there has been a trend. I think in the last, well, certainly um, in the years that I've been teaching, I've seen much more uh, of students, I guess, taking a back seat and wanting to be more spoon fed um, and you know sort of more receiving knowledge than actually actively getting it and and I know there's lots of theories around there around the world about you know whether that's because of the digital generation you know it's so easy to get knowledge at your fingertips all of those kind of arguments but I think what happens around examination times is that you know students realize that they are the only person who's actually going to pass this for them you know so um, it can't be relied on in any other way than, than themselves and how much effort they themselves put in. Um, and so it does sort of add a sense of panic often to what may have been quite a, a kind of chilled student suddenly realises, oh, this is not going away and I've got to do this and there's no yeah. one who can do it for me. And um, and so I think, yeah, that in terms of that, it does place, I guess, you know, lots of demands on, on students in terms of that time and energy effort that they may have come it sort of arisen to in a bit of a surprised way and then suddenly it's there hit bam and I'm always surprised at how fast students seem to move from year seven to 12 you know when you're in a school and you and you sort of start year 11 with a cohort and suddenly they're finishing year 12 and you don't know where any of the time went it just seems to roll around so fast um so yeah I think there's a lot of challenges that they face um I think one of the the main ones in kind of coming almost coming to the party too late and realizing you know that I've oh I've got to do this myself and I, I be very active in my learning. Um, I think that doesn't help in that idea of you know allowing content to move into your long term memory. Um, you really need to sort of start that procedure of um, you know um, we call it spaced repetition really um there's a lag effect between how much you know something and then how you start deteriorating in your knowledge of it um and so the only way to kind of combat that is to revise everything really from the get-go in year 11 just keep re-going over stuff learn it learn it learn it and i think what students often do is they get to oh trials are soon i'll cram um and you know as we know cram does not get through to your lasting memory and causes panic and you know all of that sort of stuff so yeah I think the more that they are aware of some of the almost the psychology or the the actual um, mechanics of how your brain works that's pretty eye-opening so yeah I'm a a big fan of space repetition but it's incredibly hard to get students to do it Hey folks, hope you're enjoying the episode so far, and we've got plenty more to come after this quick break. Here at Atomy Brainwaves, we're all about education, and not just for students, for ourselves too. We would love to hear from you, whether that's feedback on one of our episodes or a question you'd like to see answered by one of our guests or by Sue. So if you've got a comment or a question, don't hesitate to email us at brainwaves at getatomy.com. Looking forward to hearing from you. In the meantime, let's get back to it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, as you, as you say, it's, it, it is such an interesting and unique challenge for, for young people who maybe even haven't, sorry, definitely haven't had to face oftentimes challenges like that uh, before. And um, 
all everything you're saying with regards to cramming, it certainly rings true. I'm, I'm having flashbacks to seeing various classmates outside of exams just mm. clutching these copy books, mm-hmm. f- frantically flicking through pages. My thought was always like, surely this is way too stressful. What if you find something oh, you yes. didn't know and then that just... <laughs> Sets you off into a panic. Yes, about everything you realise two pages were stuck together and you didn't look at them at all. Or something. Yeah, yeah. I always had an approach of you know, even if I you know, I knew very little, and there were occasions where that was the case. I would like the night before an exam, just closing the books, ceremonial closing of the books. Uh-huh. I'm like, yeah, I'm. Done. I can't learn anything more. I'm letting yeah. myself off the hook from here on out. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. What can I say? I was ahead of my time. But, yeah, I was going to say um, you strike me as someone who would have revised ahead of time as well. Not a crammer. Oh, thank you. Uh, thank you. Yeah. So, yes. Well, you know, on occasion, I think uh-huh. uh, well, yeah. generally I'd say I was, I was, that was the case for me. Not yeah. always, but generally. Um, yeah. But as we've, as we've kind of got a sense of there. So uh, obviously so much of this is, is begins and ends with the student. And as you say, the student is the student who has to go in and do the exam. And it's the student mm. who, who ultimately is faced with a challenge. But that of course is not to say that the teacher's role is unimportant quite the opposite so in terms of that in terms of the teacher's role the first thing that I'm going to ask is what is it that a teacher can do in the classroom I'm just going to before we move on to I guess the more kind of if you like emotional side of things staying purely on the logistical side of things first what is it that a teacher can do in the classroom specifically to minimize, well, first of all, to prepare a student to be exam ready, not even to mm-hmm. do with the subject content, but to be in in an exam, I, I, I guess, have the tools to confront questions. I know this varies from subject to subject, but also what can be done by a teacher in a classroom to, to minimize the amount of work as much as they can that a student has to do outside of the classroom? Mm-hmm. Obviously, a student is going to have to revise on their own time, that's a fact of the world, whether you like it or not. But what can a teacher do to make sure that that's, that as much as being done within the classroom to prepare for the exam in question uh, so that too much isn't left on the student's shoulders alone when at home? Yeah, so I think there's a few things there that, um, that we can tackle, really. Um, one is about actually, you know, the way that you structure your lessons and... Um, making sure that it's not like if you spend there is so much content to cover in the New South Wales um, curriculum Um, so often you can find your whole lesson is literally is is content you know just covering content covering content and you yes you have to you know you do have to cover it all but then in teaching and learning programs there's always like the covering it and then there's the icing on the cake and then there's you know making different links and whatever and I think you have to um, know your audience there with the program that you're teaching. Um, and if you are getting to the point where you sort of push for time or you've got kids who aren't um, working in their own time, um, it's about covering what you absolutely need and um, you know, giving time in the, in the class for them to do application. And we've talked before on various podcasts before, and I know you've had a few guest speakers in who have talked about flip learning as well. But that is a way to, you know, sort of um, do the content in a in a different method, um, and obviously still do some in the classroom, but actually have classroom time where you're doing uh, exam application types of questions, so that you can, you know, really make sure that they are putting pen to paper, um, and not just, you know, um, going home and thinking, what do I do, and just and just reading, because uh, often students they think they're revising, but it's so passive. Um, and it's not actually, you know, it, it's just like I'm sat here reading um, or I've got a highlighter out and I'm highlighting. And that's actually not sort of turning that knowledge into what, what does it seem like to answer in an exam style in an application kind of way. So I think making sure well, by whatever means you do that you've got time for application. Um, another way that um, I would really be an advocate for is to... You know, just just keep, um, if you've got, say, a learning management system and you've got a quiz function in it, um, just keep, or get a a group of your colleagues together even, but build a sense, like a a question bank um, for every module that you teach 
so that you've got a massive stack of questions um, in either multiple choice format or you know true false or you know fill in multiple blanks anything that is sort of self-marked really obviously like what we do with with um, the quizzes that we've got with Atomy that you just you've got some way of having those kind of recall questions um, per, per, you know tested and tested and tested and if you've got them into some sort of question bank you can keep throwing them at students all through that module and then when you finish a module don't stop throwing them at students throw them at students in the next module and the next one and you know so that it's not um, sort of like okay we've done module one and we're moving on to module two and we don't look at module one again until the trial examinations you know so that it's sort of kept fourth and foremost before that sort of lag effect really kicks in so I'd say you know building in building in using using digital tools to actually um, assist you in ser serving up revision frequently to students um, and then the other one would be um, actively revising in class you know so yeah you've got application but you know in those sort of five minutes of sort of I guess almost dead time at the end of the lesson where you're wrapping up throw out revision questions you know get get kids to make cahoots for each other so that they're the ones taking ownership of the revising you know and it's Johnny's turn on a Monday you know and someone else's turn on a Tuesday etc just just space it out um, but even that way it would be a way of making sure that they don't forget what they've learned you know um, so just yeah I think it is really hard for teachers to fit in both the content and the aspects of revision um, and you know, but there's some, I guess, ways that, you know, can help make your life a little bit easier. And I think in terms of what you said about um, about examinations themselves, like schools, schools are not late to the party here. You Most schools would have um, some sort of pastoral care program where their students are being taught study skills. Um, they're being taught about health and nutrition and about the importance of sleep um, and things like, um, you know how to revise when to stop how not to cram um, exactly what you said don't do this the night before an exam that sort of thing you know um, there's there's huge programs out there that you know, most schools have got some iteration of that um, students can access to help themselves do um, I guess self-paced learning or self-paced um, guidance on what it's like yeah. to do well in exams yeah yeah, lots of lots of great techniques and stuff in there, and a little bit of overlap in terms of what I want to ask you next. Because what I was going to say is that's, I guess, the more the very logistical nuts and bolts uh, facing what you have to have to literally do and how to prepare for that side of things in terms of helping a student. But the other side of it, I guess, is how teachers can help students manage the the stress the anxiety mm. that, that you're talking yeah. about which is obviously as you said is something that is only only seems to be becoming more and more common and prevalent amongst students to to be dealing with quite a bit of anxiety ahead of these exams and obviously you know it should be said that the teacher is not the only person who can provide assistance here it shouldn't a teacher should take it totally onto their own shoulders to to help a student through the the stress and 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 if it's a in certain cases it might be a bigger issue then that's that is a a job for professionals but mm. you know within the context i guess of a student who's facing who's of helping students with the stress caused by upcoming exams what is it that a teacher can do to help minimize that to help enable their students to 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 handle that stress and manage it so as to to perform as best they can when the exam does come around yeah i think yeah and there's there's lots of good things in what you just said there particularly about um knowing when to involve professionals i guess so if you're you know if you've got a school counselor and you've got students who are you are particularly you know worried about um don't hesitate to you know to pass them on and to get them referred as such um, but from from the I guess the you know not taking say extreme cases like that, but from the the sort of middle of the road kind of what what can teachers do? Um, I think in some ways watching your language is just a really simple thing. 
Um, like okay. I've seen, um, I've seen teachers start year eleven by, you know, getting the grade together, sort of clapping their hands and saying how important this all is, and um, you know, giving what is meant to be a sort of pep talk, maybe, um, maybe stressing the importance of the year. You know, after maybe some students may have got a bit lax at the end of year ten, and you know, really trying to sort of lay some new foundations. Um, and it hasn't met the years of the students that it needed to, um, but it's absolutely petrified those who were slightly more anxious about exams and the HSC and things like that anyway. Um, so, yeah, when, you, when you're sort of trying to, you know, even speak to a, a large group or even just your class, you know, if you're going to stand there and sort of um, really lay the law down about how significant this is or how important it is and those sort of things you know just really be aware of your audience when you do that um and sometimes some of those conversations are best for you know if you're aiming that at certain students they're probably best for certain students only and not sort of hype everybody up as such and so i think just watching watching your language can help with kids um helping them to do things like um you know showing them how to revise i think um, it's something that you know I'm evaluating my own practice that's something that I really struggle with to fit in um, with everything else that you've got to fit in but if you can actually show students you know how do you do it how does a teacher um, revise content or you know if you're doing a course yourself like how are you getting to the point where you understand these things and can you know put them into application um, anything that you can do like that so that they modeled in how to revise and not just expect them to kind of know how to do it because the default of thinking they know what to do is you know if you if you interview any year 12 students and say how are you revising well I read my textbook or I read my notes or I I look on the internet um, I print things off I read them again I highlight them and very few actually have a real idea of what it is to to revise well um, mm. You know, so I think yeah, actually modelling what it means to revise is a is a great, you know, will really assist. And watching your language on how you phrase things um, can help with that anxiety side. Yeah, two good, two very good tips there for helping students navigate this difficult period in in general. The next thing I'm going to ask you though is a little more, a little more specific because obviously this as everyone listening to this will know (laughs) yes this year it's a unique year 2020 in such a multitude of ways and has you know turned everybody's world upside down no matter what walk of life you're in and obviously under that umbrella that includes students and that Mm. includes students facing exams in 2020 and and so much of 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 things we would have taken for granted in terms of structures uh, that existed in preparing for exams, mm. in terms of doing exams, uh, are now either look very, very different or are gone altogether, um, mm. which which poses a whole new new host of challenges. And obviously, you know, everything, it's such a fluid situation and everything that teachers and or students and by extension teachers are facing is so knew that having you know the perfect answers uh is is almost impossible so don't worry if your answer <laughs> isn't perfect sue but um yeah well what i wanted to ask is what 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 are these challenges what are these difficulties that students are facing that are unique uh, yeah. to 2020 and what what can teachers do to to help them yeah like it seriously has been a year like no other um we were just starting this podcast off weren't we by talking it's it's nearly a year to this week since I stepped out of teaching full-time um and so um yeah I would have been in a very different position now preparing Mm. what would have been my year 12s ready for their examinations and all the way through this my thoughts have have gone out to teachers for what they've been doing the learning curve that they've had to you know teach online all of a sudden um some of them you know, having very little resources to do that with, but also the students as they've adjusted to that as well. You know, school's such a social thing, um, and all of that 
social interaction has been hugely missed um, and he's you know gone back to you know we've just obviously in Australia we've had Victoria go back into stage four lockdowns today actually um, and so what that means with the empty schools again students at home teachers um, working out the best they, they can and doing such admirable jobs but it is a year like no other um, and I think you know, in some countries we've seen examinations cancelled um, and obviously previous results used. That was certainly this, the case for um, the UK. Um, is that been the case for Ireland as well? Um, that exams are being cancelled? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, that's not something that um, obviously the Australian government have, have decided to go down that path as yet. Um, and I'm, I don't, yeah, no idea whether they will change their minds on that. Um, but obviously because of the examinations in New South Wales being in sort of November time, I guess, you know, it's, it's just sort of marching on at the moment. Um, so I think in terms of the, the this particular year, the best we can really do is encourage students that, yes, it is a year like no other. And, and yes, this is, it sucks and it's hard and, and we hear you and, um, you know, without sort of making... Um, without sort of trivialising it, I think to focus on that idea of you're all in it together. You know, the the students, there is not one student in Australia who hasn't been impacted um, by COVID. So, you know, by, by not being at school or by not having access to their teachers or their friends or that sort of stuff. So um, we are all in it together in that aspect. And then I think when it actually comes to the examinations, you know, um, I would... It, I would take it bit by bit. It is very much a coaching role for teachers here. Um, I would stream down, really um, like st streamline my curriculum to what I absolutely need for them to do for the exam and even go to, you know, um, go to the lengths of being, you know, if you've got, if you've got like, I don't know, nine poems you have to do, um, you know, do six in depth or four in depth and, and skim the other five, you know, something like that to to really get to the bits. You know, you've got a whole text to do, maybe pick out um, the key aspects and, and watch the movie. Like things that we would never normally do. I think there's got to be some scrimps around some corners and some creative thinking to uh, make sure that students just have the real the nuts and bolts of the content that they need. And then I would work on examination prep more than content, you know. So really the, the skills that um, I guess you would do in lessons that we've had, we've missed that opportunity in some of the ways, um, you know, when when you're back face to face, make that for, forefront, you know, because in some ways they can get the content, you know, they can um, find things online, you can put, give them um, things to watch, videos to watch, that sort of thing. Um, you know, you can invest in like like ourselves with Adamy, you know, a content platform where they can um, have access to revision videos um, and quizzes and things like that to, to keep testing them. Um, but yeah, when you're with them, I'd focus really on, on what to do to get through that, you know, that exam part as such. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think it really is a year like no other and there's no other way around it it's going to be different, you know, like they're going to, I don't know how they're going to mark the HSC on the same grounds as before, but it will be taken into account, you know, like yeah, every year when yeah. you sit down to do HSC marking, um, which I've, I've done for extension one for, for quite a few years previously, um, you don't just sit there and go, this is, you know, what, what a 20 looks like. You get the cohort responses from the senior examiners and they talk through what a 20 for this year looks like, you know, and it's very, it's going to be, um, you know, particular to this year for sure. Um, yeah. what students can do. So yeah, good luck basically. <laughs> yeah. Good, very, yeah. very true. Good, good luck indeed. But also, you yeah. know, as you say, don't forget that everybody's in the same boat yeah. and, and that will be taken into account and as horrible and awful and difficult it is, it is, you know, you are you are not alone. Students mm. and teachers alike. We, yeah. in order so that we don't end on the glum note <laughs> that is twenty twenty. I've got one more, one more quick question for you uh, before we get to the hot tip, obviously. Uh -huh. um, but that is, 
you know, everything we've talked about so far really has been with regards to preparing for exams, getting through them. But I just wanted to ask if you could quickly give some uh, a word of advice to teachers about life beyond exams, really, because as you've talked about, you know, there can be issues with motivating students in the aftermath of exams, you know, student group students do their exam. And, and even if there's more class time after that, they're very much switched off with this mentality of, oh, the exam's done nothing mm-hmm. to worry about so you know first of all in terms of tactics to to motivate students um, and keep them engaged with what's happening even though the exam is in the rear view window but but also even beyond that if we're to look long term once results come in you know it, it, sometimes you know I feel like again there could be that mentality with students of it, they get the result and if it's a good result they're happy if it's not the result they were looking for they're upset but that's the end of the line when in fact there's an awful lot that can be learned from mm. going after getting the results learn about where you need to improve you know looking back through the exam and seeing you know how I could have handled this or that better so yeah. what what, yeah. what can teachers do to make sure that in both that first short term and then long term post exam period uh, what can they do to make sure that you know, that's a positive learning time mm. as opposed to a sort of a passive, passive learning Yeah, experience. so what you're describing there reminds me very much in New South Wales about the, the trial examination period, which is week sort of three and four of this term. Um, so pretty much probably going up next week and the week after for um, the current year 12 cohort. And then after that, um, you know, results, two weeks takes to, you know, students are on study leave, marks um are are given to them when they return um and then yeah it is often very much like it's so hard to keep them motivated and keep them going and um but it's such an important time for learning still there's still like six weeks of term left and um or five weeks of term left um and it's really important to to actually use that so well and this year is going to be more important than ever i think to make sure that's used so well so um, I would get some, in some ways, some fresh ways of doing the revision. Um, so fresh ways of doing, you know, you're not necessarily introducing new content at this point. Um, a lot of subjects wouldn't be. Um, but fresh ways of um, getting through the revision to them. So, again, I'd probably lean quite a bit on digital technology here to, um, you know, allow it not only to, to work for you in terms of results and analysis and stuff, but also for their level of engagement and give some ownership back to them, as I said, you know, get them creating Quizlets or Cahoots, um, get them being the people who are working groups to give a presentation and then share their notes on topics and stuff, you know, like divide and conquer um, and also make them feel like responsible. You know, they're going to they're gonna have to give something, but they're going to get something back and they'll let their classmates down if they don't do the, the giving to receive, you know, that sort of thing. So um, I guess just, just mix it up and keep it fresh um, so that you've got their attention as such. And yeah, and do go through your feedback, you know, when you've marked the exam. Um, a lot of schools are looking at sort of feedback conversations now where um, it's not just setting targets for improvement, but it really is a, a dialogue between the teacher and the student. Um, and so I would go through exemplars, um, get students to go through exemplars, you know, and things like that. If you've got an LMS that allows, you know, anonymous peer marking, for example, take advantage of things like that you know the more they see what is getting the right mark um, and what the mark is realistic to what they can achieve um, the better you know just show 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 um so that's that's the first part of your question to me the bit between you know like the, the trials and then the next bit mm. um in terms of you know you've got your exams and you got the result you wanted great you didn't get the result you wanted um i think some nice things to do there is you know, have Year 12 back after after um, the results are out for sort of a Year 12 barbecue or, you know, time to, to mingle and chat with each other and to chat with the careers advisor or to chat with teachers. And also at this point to, um, to tell some real stories, I think. You know, um, I think students often think that um, the people in front of them, you know, it was all like a linear experience. You know, they, they finished school, they went to uni, then they started teaching. Um, you know, and that's very rarely the case when you start talking to teaching and, and to colleagues. Yeah, there's certainly those people that it, it was a linear fashion for. 
Um, but, you know, I often tell students the sort of story of, um, so my own story, like, for example, I, you know, I, I used to really like English as well as um, art, you know, did A-level art, loved art. Um, and then I decided I was going to do a joint degree in art and English. Um, and then I decided not to do that because I thought you'd be half qualified in each and sort of then um, against people who were qualified fully in one or the other. Um, so instead, I decided art was for me and I went to art college and I was there three weeks and I dropped out of art college. <laughs> and, um, and so I find myself um, in the first year after A-levels as an art college dropout. Um, working in a bar which um, I, I loved by the way I loved working in a bar for years and years and years um, but by day I, by night I was a bartender and by day I um, I ran a brick cutting company for a year um, okay. which <laughs> which was just this totally, is all news to me as well I mean totally you're saying this story to yourself Sue all these all these months I don't know uh, yeah, why you kept it till now but um, incredibly random but yeah, I used to work out using Pythagoras theorem, which is quite like amazing for me and my lack of math knowledge. But um, the angles of which to get the boys to cut the bricks, um, so that the bricks could go from the brickyard to to people's houses. Um, and so I did that for a year. And during that time, you know, had a had a cool year off, I guess. And um, then decided, yeah, better do something, and went to uni to do an English literature degree. Uh, then my teaching degree and then became a teacher you know so it's not all linear and um yeah. and i don't think there's anything nowadays that can't be picked up again later you know like university entrants have so many different ways of getting in if you didn't meet the first one um, there's obviously other places available or you can do a year of you know, bringing yourself up to speed and then reapply the next year. You know, there's there's so many avenues that it is not the end of the world if you don't get the result that you needed, you know. So I guess getting that message out to students is, is important, you know. So uh, not to demotivate them, there's a time to give that message. <laughs> yeah. Um, but to, Once yeah. it's over, once they're out of the exam. Yeah. Ah, didn't yeah. matter that much. Yeah. <laughs> not a huge deal. No, no, I, I, I do see what you mean, though, and it is, you know, it, it, like with everything, it's about finding that balance, because you're right, you don't want to downplay too much, because, you know, there will be some students who will hear that and be like, oh, that eh, doesn't matter doesn't at all, matter. Yeah. but at, at, the, at the same time, there is the opposite student who is maybe putting so much pressure on themselves for, for this exam, when at the end of the day, as you say, you know, it really you know at that at that age nothing is permanent and, mm. and one set of exams is really not going to determine no. the rest of your life no matter how much some people might try and convince you that it is so of course take them seriously of course give your all but at the end of the day you know remember that you know the sun will rise the following morning after mm. your exams it will rise the following Tom morning after now. yours <laughs> Yes, well, Sound like a bit you know, Lord of the Ringish then. <laughs> J.R.R. and I that. had a lot in common. <laughs> we had a lot in common. He and I. On that note, we will we wrap up our exam preparation. We're we're getting too far too philosophical to keep talking uh -huh. about <laughs> exam prep, but just philosophical enough to move on to your hot tip, Sue. Okay. This, for our listeners, will know. Regular listeners will know a little bit of advice. Maybe it's an anecdote from your teaching days, <laughs> but just a little, a little more relaxed hot tip from Sue uh -huh. for the teachers out there. Yeah, I feel like I won't do an anecdote after giving you my, um, you know, my biker pub and. Um... Okay, fair <laughs> enough. You've covered that base. <laughs> Brick cutting today. days. Um, yeah, I think just in in terms of. Um, thinking about reversal of of revision in terms of putting a bit of inquiry learning into the revision um i once um last year the year before went to see kath murdoch who's um a fantastic um inquiry learning guru who you should um fit up for the podcast actually simon um but she um <laughs> she works very much in the k-6 space um, and I was obviously there as a high school teacher, but she gave this example that I think would, is wonderful for revision. Um, she talked about, you know, when you when you want to go through an essay to say why it's a good essay, um, often a teacher would stand there and, you know, they would a teacher would deconstruct it. Then you sort of do that I do 
um, you do, we do, or I do, we do, you do pattern in a lesson. You know, I'll show you, then we do it together, then you do it by yourself. Um, and she had said something that I, I loved actually and did it pretty much the next the next um, day I was in class, the next opportunity I had. Um, but it was, you know, give, give students an essay, give them a paragraph, whatever. Um, and in groups, sorry, in, first of all, individually, get them to decide what's good about it. Then um, in groups, talk about the things that they thought were good about it and get them, give them four, um, get them to number them um, order of what's best to worst and give their reasons why. Because kids love to have an opinion. So just let them have an opinion on, on you know, the essay. And then take their thoughts back, you know, so they've inquired, they've taught, take their thoughts back. And then the only bit the teacher does is, is plug anything that was missed. You know, not deliver it all from the front, just actually just fill in the gaps that was missed. Let them get them there by themselves and their own brains and their shared collective knowledge. Um, and then just plug in the gaps that were missed. And I thought that was a lovely way of kind of reversing that so that you do, you know, either we do first or then into you do, then I do. Um, but in this instance, it was you do it, then we do it, then I do it. Um, and I thought that was a great way of just, you know, in, in terms of breaking up some of that, uh, I guess, familiar format, you know, put some of the onus onto them. So don't be, a, yeah. my tip would be to use some inquiry learning in your revision. Um, and my other tip would be to you to try and get Kath Murdoch on the podcast. <laughs> Two tips for the price of one. Well, and I'm coming after that you know pub slash brick anecdote spoilt spoilt i've had an interesting today. life simon well don't i know it don't i know it looking forward to hearing even more on that uh, some of it might need podcast. to be off air well okay fair enough off air then but until then i will say to the i will say to you sue thank you so much for sharing with us Pleasure as always. your wisdom and insights <laughs> to our listeners thank you for joining us uh, you can check us out on our main site at getatomy.com if you want to listen to more episodes you will find them on whatever platform you're listening to this on for the time being it's going to be goodbye from Sue good night all and goodbye from me bye bye